0: Amen. those are some powerful testimonies, Amen. Man, Jason Bon Giovanni. Wow. I just saw, can, I, can I get that? I just saw that video of him with the the sword in his mouth, and I was, I was like, well, okay, all right, man of God, I, I see you. I don't think I've ever put a sword in my mouth other than a knife, like a butter knife or something, when I'm eating a steak, but uh wow. And also, I went to Malaysia, I believe it was a year, a year and a half ago. So even seeing a lot of those places, it brought a lot of joy to my heart. Um, And then also them doing the Malaysian dances. And so, like, you know, they they do this, this right here, you know. Don't worry, guys, I still got it. I still got it. I still got those moves. Keeping it in the reservoir for later if I need it. Anytime a dance party jumps off. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, turn to first Corinthians chapter 10. But before I go ahead and start turning there, I have a special announcement before I get into the word. Uh, next Sunday here at Itewan is a very special Sunday. We're having something called an Inspire service. And uh, do you guys have the slide for it? it? That's not the slide. There should be another slide. You see it? All right, anyways, it's up there. Uh, we're having something called an inspire service. And so um, there's a ministry here in the house. It's called the Hope Laboratory. And it's something that I started uh, last year um, because in two thousand two thousand twelve 2012 for our house was a year of increase. And this year is the year of inspiration. But for me personally, 2012 was like the year of inspiration for me. All of a sudden last year, God was. Really putting on my heart this deep burden um, for creativity and innovation in the church because how many of you guys know that it's lacking in a lot of churches today? It's so easy to get stuck in a box. I was riding with Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron last night, coming from a wedding, and PC started playing some old school Christian hip hop music <laughs> from the 90s. A- and, uh, you know, it was like, The guy was like, what's your name going? I'm running for Jesus. Uh." And I was like, cut that off. What is that? Like, my head is hurting. I immediately got a migraine. And I was like, you know, because just in the past, because religion and rules and regulation and do's and do nots is so prevalent in the church. It just chokes people up and people in the church, they don't learn how to express themselves creatively. They don't learn how to express themselves in a way in which will bring innovation and inspiration to other people. Um, That's why the world doesn't look to the church, but it should. The church should be the place that is forerunning things. We have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the same spirit that created the heavens and the earth. God spoke a word and the spirit did it and it lives inside of us. But. We as a church and we as a people, we're not manifesting that into the earth. And God put me on this journey last year where like it was he had me reading all kinds of books, secular and not um, and secular and Christian books back and forth. I read last year like 30 books or something like I don't know. I was always reading. And before that, the year before that, I read maybe one book. Okay, like I and that book was the Bible. Like I was not reading books, but then all of a sudden, God, I started by reading this book called Wide Awake by Erwin McManus. And in the book, I remember we were on our way to Thailand and I'm reading the book and we get to this part in the book where he says the world is waiting for you. Speaking of us as, as believers, the world is waiting for you to realize your dreams. Because God has given you those dreams for other people who cannot dream. And if you don't realize your dreams, if you don't step out, if you don't live a life worth living, other people will never realize the life that God has for them. Your life matters. And as I'm, I totally butchered that quote, but as I was reading it, I started weeping. And Joanne turned one of our leaders and Kathleen on. She, she was on the Thailand team. And they were sitting right beside me, and they're like they got their headphones in, they're just like watching like a movie or something. But I'm sitting there with the book going, <laughs> like an um, ugly cry. Ugliest cry ever. Like it's not everything. And they acted like they didn't see me. I was like, I know they see me. I was getting like all self conscious, you know. <laughs> I couldn't, but I couldn't stop weeping because all of a sudden, I realized for me, as soon as I became a Christian, I became a Christian in 2006. So it's been almost seven years. It's been seven. Yeah, almost seven years. It'll be seven years this year. And before I became a Christian, my background, I used to do spoken word and and I I rapped a bit. now you know, MC Pastor Marcus. And uh, I used to do a lot of different things that in creative expression. But the moment I became a Christian. The moment I put my faith in Jesus, what I did was I took all of these things that I used to do and I buried them. I said, Oh man, God does not like this stuff. Gotta get rid of that. I remember what I used to rap about, mm mm, uh uh. <laughs> and I was like, I cannot do it. Like it's it's not possible. I you know, the church is not meant to be creative. That's what I thought. And so, but then the moment I re- read that quote, it was like, God just came in and he said, mm, 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 mm no, you guys are actually supposed to be the most creative people that walk the face of the earth. You have the greatest creative power in you. And all of a sudden I just felt God starting to whisper. And so he took me on this journey. And then last year I, we started this creativity group that we, where we started meeting And how many of you guys know if you start anything and you start anything new, it's very rare that the first time you do it, it's going to be great. Newsflash. Maybe some of you guys, you bat a thousand and everything you touch is gold. Pray for me later. But we started that creativity group and there were a lot of bumps, you know, because we were just it was unlike a ministry that we'd ever done at New Philly and just we just started it. Pastor John Michael literally forced me to start it because we were meeting together and he was like, listen, uh, because I was sharing about this journey that God was opening up in my heart for creative expression and creativity in the church and how we need to forerun it and bring it back into the church and provide means for people. And he looked at me and said, "Okay, do it. And I said, no, I got to get some things together first. He said, "Okay, check it. If you don't do it, he didn't say check it because Pastor John Michael doesn't say check it. (laughs) Consider this. He said, if you don't start it, I will. And you don't want me to start it. And I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, Pastor John Michael's like, I'm not an artist. Like for him, he's like, I just get me a blank canvas paint hand art, you know, like, and so he, and so not saying that's not art, that's art. Uh, But I I know I'm explaining a lot, but I got to tell you the journey as so that you understand what's going to happen next Sunday. Um, And then all of a sudden he, so he challenged me to start it. And so we started it and I had no idea what it was supposed to look like. We just met and I kind of made it up as we went along. And everyone could tell that I was making it up as we went (laughs) along. And so we started out with a lot of people, but we, it took time to get the method together, to get how God really wanted to do this, do this group. And it didn't even have a creative name. The name of the group was the creativity (laughs) group. That is inspirational, and uh, so we met. But then, at November of last year, we began to really, God began to just really speak to me and begin to me and a couple other leaders that were serving as to how He wanted to do this ministry, this creativity ministry of the house, and the whole purpose of it. And we eventually settled on a name, and the name of this ministry is called the Hope Laboratory. Because most people, when they struggle with creativity, the biggest issue is hopelessness. You, you have this huge, we have this huge fear of failure. We don't believe that we can do it because we've been taught for 12, 14 years of our public school and private school, or whatever education, even in college, that there's a right answer. Pass the standardized test. If you don't do that, then you're going to fail. And we've been molded into this particular way that isn't really the image of God, how he's wanting us to live. And so even when we come into the church, we throw that into the church as well. And we say there's a right answer and you've got to do things past this standardized test. Pray this prayer. But God works differently. God doesn't have a box. He's God. He, God does not have a box. He even says that he doesn't he doesn't reside in, in places made by human hands. He's like, if you make me a box, I will not dwell in it because I'm God. I'm outside of the box. I don't have a box. Boxes are not my thing. But we have boxes. Each and every one of us It's it's called our heads. And this Hope Laboratory was meant to help in breaking through a lot of these limits that prevent us from being creative. And so we started this ministry, and a lot of it has to do with... uh, different things that we do, methods, exercises, whatever we do that that's meant to show us all that we are creative, that because we're made in the image of God, we have this creative capacity and not just that, but that creative capacity is meant to impact other people. It's meant to inspire other people. And so what we're going to do this Sunday, not this right now, but next Sunday is we're having something called an inspire service. The past three months, People in this ministry that have been participating in the Hope Laboratory, they've been working on studio art projects geared towards the youth of Korea and, and addressing God's heart for the youth. And at first, we were thinking we should do an art. We should just rent out a place in Hongdae, right? Because Hongdae is the place to rent stuff if you're going to do art. But God spoke and he was like, no, why don't you just do it on a Sunday? And I remember I was like, No. That's weird. Like my initial thought was that will never work. But then he was saying. The problem is that we think that all the arts and all the creative expression and all of that has to take place out of the church. We don't go to church so that we can do that. We leave the church so we can do that. But the people in the church should be the ones for running it. And so brothers and sisters in the house, they're going to display their artwork and then I'm going to speak. Preach a short message on the youth of Korea. And part so our service is going to essentially be we're going to worship, we're going to fellowship, and then we're going to check out what our brothers and sisters have been doing and celebrate it. And then we're going to get inspired as to what we can do to really address God's heart for the youth of Korea. So I want to encourage you to invite your friends, invite your co-workers, come out next Sunday to come to this service. I think it's going to be a powerful time. I think it's it's the first. We've never done anything like this before. We've never inter, we're going to interrupt our service. That's what we're going to do. We're going to you know how we showed videos and testimonies and we prayed. No, we're going to do worship and then we're going to stop the service. Pause. And we're going to check out what our brothers and sisters have been doing. And we've never done this at New Philly. You know, we've had We have a set order and the way we do things. But we're going to do things differently because this year of inspiration is about inspiring us to live differently. And so I want to encourage you to invite your friends. There's the slide. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, to invite your friends and family to come out to our Inspire service next Sunday. All right. Everyone say inspire. inspire. Hallelujah. All right. Is everyone there? First Corinthians chapter 10. Yeah. OK, I'm going to try and go through this and I'm going to preach this word to you today. We're going to go through uh, First Corinthians chapter 10 verses uh, 23. To chapter 11, verse one. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read the. I'm going to read the odd, you read the even, and then we'll read the last verse together. Everyone there say amen. OK, here we go. One, two, three. She jock. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market mm, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the of the Lord the of if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. If someone says to you, this has I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And last verse altogether, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for all the testimonies from the nations from this past mission season, God. We thank you that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so we pray that everything we saw in the nations, would you multiply here in Seoul, multiply here in Itaewon, God. Lord, we pray a grace over the word that is preached. May it go in deep. And may it bring forth a harvest, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. I want to focus. We're going to start at verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to work our way backwards today. If you're new, we've been going through and doing a series through 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to sum up this series and bring you up to speed very quickly. Two sentences. The first is that the church in Corinth and the city of Corinth was really jacked up. They had... You know, they had prostitution everywhere. They had fighting, infighting, bickering, rivalry everywhere. It was crazy in Corinth and it started to get into the church. I mean, people were fighting in the church. You had a guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. It was crazy. That was Corinth. Number two, Paul writes to them in First Corinthians because he's wanting to let them know that because this has infiltrated. The church, their influence has died away, and he's calling them back to being an influence, to being a city on a hill, being a light in the midst of darkness. That's it. We're all up to speed. <laughs> and so here, what we find is that Paul begins to speak to them, and he's still he's still on this topic of how they can continue to live rightly and be a light in the midst of all the darkness is going around them. And there's a specific issue where they're eating the food that's been sacrificed to idols, but Paul he, he speaks to them. And then at the end of this in chapter 11, verse one, he says a crazy statement. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Other translations. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, say, imitate me. me. (laughs) Tell him, tell him, you need to be like me. (laughs) Tell him. Some some of you, some of you feel mad uncomfortable. You need to be like me. (laughs) OK, Isaac, you, you're, you're a little too good at it right now. <laughs> I want to talk, I want to say three things to you today. And the first thing I want you to ask yourself, and this is going to uh, kind of fill the whole scope of the message today, is does anyone want to be like you? Does anyone want the kind of life that you have? See, when Paul was writing and he said at the very end, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He was saying to them, if you want to live the right spiritual life, if you want to live a life that embodies Christianity, embodies the Christian life, embodies Jesus, embodies all, everything that is good. He didn't say be like Jesus. He said, be like me. I mean, imagine if I stood up here today and said check it out i know you guys got some problems you know are you coming to me for prayer after service? pastor marcus i got this problem in my family i've got this issue i need to settle it what do i do and i look at you straight in the face and say this is what you need to do you see me you see, you see how i live you need to be like me every single one of you would leave the church immediately i'm out just go out the door But this is what Paul is saying. Paul says one of the most ridiculous statements, I think, in all of his epistles, he says, imitate me, not imitate Jesus, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what he's saying and when he says is he has full confidence that the lifestyle that he is living is something that is that people should want to live. He has this confidence that because of Christ Jesus and because he's so close to Christ and because he's so close to him and he's following him with such a zeal that other people will look at the quality of his life and say, I want that. Can people say the same about your life? I love how Pastor Benjamin said it. He said, is your life marketable? If your lifestyle was on sale, would anybody want to buy it? If we brought someone off the street in and we said, "This person right here is a Christian," don't you want to be a Christian? And they looked at your life. They just walked around. They just followed you every day. <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm like, "Do you want to buy? Do you are you going to put a bid on this?" And they're like, "What would they say?" Mm, nah, I'm good. <laughs> okay, you know what? I like that a bit. I'll put in. Each 2001. If your life was if your life was being marketed, would anyone want to buy it? Your lifestyle. The way that you live, the way that you embody Christ, can I look at you? Can someone else look at you and say, I want that. See, that's what Paul was saying. Paul had this confidence that the kind of life he was living was so filled with grace, so filled with power, so filled with joy, so filled with intimacy. There was nothing lacking in his life to such a degree that when someone came into the church, he did not say imitate Christ. He said, imitate me. Because that's how close I am. Is that how you're living? I I went on Facebook a couple days ago and I wrote I said, I wish everyone could have the life that I have. Doesn't that sound mad, boastful, presumptuous? Like, who does he think he is? I wish everyone could experience the breakthroughs that I have experienced. I wish everyone could experience the kind of favor that I experienced. I wish that everyone could know Christ's heart the way that I've had the privilege of knowing his heart. See that should be your testimony if we invited in your coworkers and said, "Hey, this is Daisy <laughs> this is daniel it 's ryan duker ryan you haven 't been in a sermon in a long time. There you go <laughs> <laughs> brought in your friends. you know a lot of times we're like i 'm praying for my friends i 'm praying for my family i 'm praying for them to get saved, and I really want my coworkers to come to christ and 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 you don't see it happen. You're wondering, God, are you not answering my prayers? He's like, I put my Holy Spirit in you. I anointed you. I brought breakthrough in your life. I've done so much in your life. But are you living in such a way in which anybody else would want it? Your life should be Campbell's soup good. It should be. It should be that hearty. It should be that filled with life. Like, people should look at your life and be like, that is mm -mm good. You know what I'm trying to say. But ask yourself, does anyone say that now? Do you say it of your own life? When I wrote that on Facebook, you know what I was doing? I was making a personal declaration. Because... In my life, and, and I know it, it's for many of you, the devil comes with so many lies and so much discouragement and so much depression. And all of a sudden you think, oh, my life means nothing. It, the way I live, it, all of it sucks. And, but then all of a sudden I just started writing. I said, I wish everyone could live the kind of life I live. And as soon as I typed that, All of a sudden, God started reminding me of everything that he's done in my life. He started reminding me of how when I didn't even know the Lord and my mother was I wasn't even born yet. And my mother was pregnant with me and she was pushed down a flight of stairs and she didn't die and I didn't die. He started reminding me of how when we were in this abusive relationship in the middle of the night, God brought us out and brought us in a shelter and we were completely safe. He started reminding me of how I was atheist and I hated him. And all of a sudden he encountered me. He started reminding me of how every single time where I have done something stupid or foolish or every time where I've made a mistake. And I thought that God's response to me would be that he would be like, get out of my sight. And instead he said, come closer. I'm not saying this to convict you. I'm saying this to encourage you. Have you testified about what God's done in your life lately? Or is it putting or do do you put a bowl? Over yourself. You know, no, my life isn't worth. That woe is me theology, you know. Pray for me again, pastor. (laughs) And then you're getting prayer and you. you, (laughs) (laughs) I want you to ask yourself that. Is your life worth mimicking? The word that Paul uses for imitate is the Greek word mimeo. It's where we get the word mimic. It's where we get the word mime. It means, you know, to mimic something or to mime something is to follow the example of it until you get the substance, right? A mime, he doesn't have the substance, but he's following the movements. Would anyone look at your life and say, you know what? I'm going to at least follow until I get the substance. Like, why are you always so happy? You just told me the other day you lost your job, but you're smiling. You know, to someone outside the church, that's weird. Actually, to a lot of people in the church, that's weird. You you just got this supernatural financial favor. How did you do it? What's your secret? You know, if you've been working out and someone asks you what your secret is, you're like, yes. (laughs) Just been hitting that diet, you know. (laughs) People should be asking you about that, not just about you working out, but about your entire quality of life. When I went back home in November after my grandfather had passed away, he suddenly passed away with a heart attack. And we went back and I went I flew back home. And I was around my family, and it was crazy, and I didn't even think anything of it, but I was around my family, and I was just being me. I was being the way that I am. And then I remember after the funeral, they asked me to speak at my grandfather's funeral. I was the only family member that spoke at my grandfather's funeral. And I spoke, and then I came down, and and I remember later my cousin, my cousin who i have grown up with, really close, and he's like a brother to me. Um, and he walks up to me and he's like, man, I can tell you changed. I can, man, man, I kind of, man, I, I I think my life needs to change too. Man, uh, he's looking and he, it wasn't that I was like, you need to change. I just prophesy that right now, (laughs) you know, in the name of Jesus change. I didn't say anything. Didn't do a nothing. He just saw me living and he said, I want that. Back in a year before that, in May, I went back because my one of my best friends had gotten married. And I was serving and I was standing in his wedding and he asked me he's not a believer. He doesn't know Jesus. And he asks me, listen, I want you to pray at my wedding and bless bless us. And then also bless the food, you know. I was like, okay, all right, I'll bless the food and, and but he was like, I really want you to bless my marriage. And I was sitting, I was so confused. I was like, You don't why does my prayers met? And then I go there, I pray for them, and then all my friends that I used to party with, they all walk up to me afterwards and they're shaking my hand. And they're all like, Man, man, we can tell, man, I don't we don't know what it is, but you changed. Man, we don't know what it is about you and about What's happened? But you're different. I was like, "It's Jesus!" <laughs> it was crazy because, I mean, and these were, and a lot of them were still doing the same things that they were all that they had been doing when I left. But when they saw me. We didn't, we didn't ever have a conversation about new Philly. We never had a conversation about me pastoring or going to the nations or anything like that. But when they saw me and they saw my life, they said, actually, you know what? I kind of want that. I need that. One of them, one guy, he shook my hand and he said, listen, and this, this, it was kind of creepy, but it kind of blessed me. He said, listen, I, uh, Man, I can tell you changed. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, I have, you know? And he's like, Yeah, man, uh, you know, I read all of your Facebook posts. <laughs> I was like, All right, you've changed too. <laughs> you know? <And laughs> but he's like, I've I re- I read, read all your Facebook posts, I've looked at all your photos. He's like, still shaking my hand. I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But, uh, and then he said, he said, man, I see, I saw how you go to all the nations, man. And you, you do a lot of good. And he's like, I mean, every time I, I look at your, your, your statuses, when you come back from different nations or when you, there's mighty things that happen in your life. He's like, I always want to like it, but I'm afraid. I always want to comment, but I'm just a little, a little afraid. Oh, man, that spoke to me powerfully. It was like he was saying, "I see your life. I see your lifestyle. People whom you've been praying about, people around you, they, they don't see, they don't see you here at church. And so we think like I can come to church on Sunday, do my worship, and then during the week I can live any way I want to. But what really, what speaks the loudest is how you live when you're outside of these walls." Is your lifestyle something that someone would want to imitate? But how? What does that look like? What does it look like to live a life that someone would want to imitate? Uh, This second point is going to verse 31. Chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says another crazy statement. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Uh, Paul says, he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. The second thing is that in order for someone to want to imitate your life. For someone to want to imitate you as you imitate Christ, your life, your actions, your thoughts, it all has to reflect God's glory. When Paul says, whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. That word to is the Greek word ace. Everyone say ace. ace. That's, it's actually the opposite of the Greek word ex, ex. I maybe pronounced it wrong, but whatever. It, it's the opposite of ex means out. That's where we get the word exegesis, out of scripture. We're pulling it out of the text. And the opposite of out is what? In. So it can mean in, it can mean to. Most trans, translators, they translate it as two in this passage, but it can also mean in. Whatever you do, do it all in the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And Paul says, he says, whether you eat, is God's glory reflected in your eating? I'm just getting real. In your drinking? He says, whatever you do, what about at work? See, because people are looking. For glory. Every human being on this earth. They desire something greater than themselves. I was reading a book by Robert Morris. He pastors a church called Gateway Church. And it exploded 30,000 people in a span of. It only happened in like a span of five years. They just all of a sudden exploded in Texas. And one thing he said was he said. People think that methods. And people think that religion and living and doing certain like oh I. I pray five times a day or that these are this is what going what is going to bring people in or they think that evangelism is what's going to change people's lives. He said, no, that's not it. What people are looking for are lives that reflect the glory of God. What people are really looking for when they come to church on Sunday is to encounter God. What people are really looking for when they talk to you or what they're looking to encounter God. Why do you think people always mimic celebrities? It's because there's this aspect of celebrities that seems other, right? It seems greater than, oh, you know, I want to be like Jay Z, like, man, he's he owns a basketball team, like awesome. Your decisions, your actions, they should all reflect God's glory. When you when you decide what to eat, do you think about God's glory? When you decide when you go to work, are you working for God's glory? Your attitude at your workplace is it glorifying to God? See, the biggest testimony is not when you bring someone into the church and they hear me preach. It's actually when they talk to you during the week, because they'll see you they'll see you here, but then they'll see you in the office and they're like, "I could have sworn I saw Ryan Duker say that bad word in front of that that thing. I should have saw you know, I should have sworn." That I saw Pastor Diana beat up that person. <laughs> you know, she was real nice on Sunday. She like shook my hand and everything, but she clotheslined that girl. <laughs> like, is God being glorified in the way that you live? It, what about in your physical health? Is God being glorified? Are you making decisions that reflect God's glory? You know, if all the Christians are walking around sickly and jacked up. And in the hospital right next to the person who doesn't know Jesus, that person in the hospital next to him is like, oh. Yeah, I guess God's not real. Well, maybe when you're bitter and and you're holding on to all this unforgiveness. And then they see you lashing out. You know, you can tell when a person holds bitterness. You don't have to be a Christian to see bitterness. Bitterness is like that coat I just bought recently. I bought this green coat, and it's got fur all over it. I'm not the proudest of this this uh, fashion choice this time. I usually think I do well, but this time I bought this forest green jacket, and it's got uh, it's got black fur around the rim. When I wear it though, I feel like I'm in a hip hop video. I'm just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Everyone sees it. Ajumas, they'd be looking at me in the subway. They're like, he got the same coat you got. <laughs> that's like bitterness, that's like unforgiveness. It's actually pretty loud. And your friends and your family members and the people around you, when they look at you, they can see it. When you walk into the workplace and you hate your job and you're just being lazy, I'll just get by. The person who doesn't know Jesus, he's got a better work ethic than you, and he's sitting there and he's like, oh, so much for that Christian work ethic. Is God being glorified in the way that you live your life? I know I talked about eating and drinking and some of you guys were confused, like, well, my eating and my drinking and my work, my sleep, the, my relationships, that's all secular. You know, you didn't talk about my Bible reading and my wor- and my my worship times. Those times are anointed, Pastor Marcus. That's because we have this wrong mindset where we divide the secular and the sacred. We think that, oh, I can be this certain way. With God, but then outside of that, I can be this way. But, you know, in the Jewish mindset, they never had a word for spiritual in the Hebrew. There's not a word for spiritual in the Jewish mindset. Everything was spiritual. There wasn't a secular and a sacred. Your work was sacred. What you ate and what you how you drank and how the way you took care of your body, that was sacred. your relationships, the way you treated your family, the way that you submitted to your parents, that was sacred. That was spiritual. See, the reason why, see, I think this is secular, sacred thing is a demonic suggestion. I think it's demonic because I think Satan likes to separate us from the secular and the sacred, because then he knows that then our faith becomes a private one. Now, all of a sudden, the way that I worship and the way that I live my life, it stays in this little box and no one ever hears about it. Then my my Christian walk becomes just a Sunday thing. Then I have my Christian friends and my non-Christian friends, and they never intermingle. Because I've got my secular and my sacred. And if you do that, you can never be your life won't be worth imitating because you don't it's not incarnational. You never bring Christ to earth. You never bring the power of the Holy Spirit into someone's life who desperately needs it because it's staying over here in your box. God wants to smash that box. Because these two, these things, they all work together the way that even you're eating. Mm. I got convicted. So this week I've been eating sandwiches and salads. I had a steak. And it was good. But even what those decisions, they matter to God. Even the way that you live in that way, it testifies to God. Other people are looking. Other people are watching. That's actually the aspect of your life that they see. They don't see your Bible reading. They don't see you raising your hands in worship on Sunday. But they do see. your drinking. They do see your interpersonal relationships. They do see the way that you work in the workplace. They see all of that. And that's how they decide whether or not you're living a life worth imitating. You hearing me today church? Yeah. I only tell you this cuz you have the power to live a different life. You have the power to live a life worth imitating. You have a you have the power to live a life in which would be Campbell's good. <laughs> so, what does it look like? How? How do you live a life worth imitating? Verse 23. I said, you know, I I said that your actions, your choices, your decisions, they have to reflect the glory of God if people are going to desire to imitate your life. There's got to be something about your life that's other. Something about your life that is supernatural. And. Therefore, your choices matter. That's the, you've got to make better choices. It's funny, but I've been realizing lately that choice is one of the most powerful things that God has given to us. Because choice is, especially to a believer, choice is the sign that God, God believes in you. God trusts you. Verse 23, it says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. He says, all things are permissible. You can do that. You can eat that. You can drink that. You can you can work this way if you want. You can live this way if you want. You can decide to go to this place. You can decide to act in this kind of way if you want. You can do that. Eating McDonald's five times a day is not sin. But it will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) He says, all things are permissible. All things are lawful. These things you can do. It's good. You can do it. It's okay. No one's going to be mad at you if you do it like this. No one's going to be mad at you if you go into work and you decide that this is the way that you're going to work. No one's going to be mad at you but it's not going to build anybody up. You can make this choice and you can take this round and it's okay. See, we think that God towards us, especially as his sons and daughters, is like, do, do not. First commitment. Second commitment. Do, do not, do not, do not. We think that God is all about right and wrong, but God's not about right and wrong. God's about right and best. God's about not good and bad. He's about What's good, but what's better? Oh, not only what's better, what's best. But it's so easy for us to just get to that. Okay, it's good. It's not wrong. I didn't sin. But is it the best? Is it the best decision? When you go into your workplace, you're working, but and that's good. But are you going beyond? Are you doing what's best? Are you choosing what's best? In the garden, and I preached about this a couple a couple years ago. In the garden, when Satan approached Adam and Eve, he completely changed the paradigm by which they were living. Because, see, when, when God spoke to them, he said, check it out, you can eat any of the fruit in the garden. Just don't eat that fruit over there. Please don't. It's jacked up. If you eat it, you will die. It is not good. Stay away from that. Don't. Can't you tell? The tree's ugly anyways. It's like black at the roots. You don't want that. Stay away from that tree. You see that tree over there? That's called the tree of life. You see how it's got like birds are singing around it? You should go to that tree. And you can eat any of the other trees as well. Stay, stay in that paradigm. What God did in that moment when he created the garden... they. You know, that tree was over there. Sure. The wrong was over there. But really, where God placed them, he placed them in the good and then the best. He said, eat of this fruit. This fruit's good. It's permissible. You can have as much of it as you want. But then there's this tree of life and you can eat that, too. That's the best. But when Satan came in, he completely flipped the script. And he said, listen, now you see that tree over there? Now you see something. Yeah, I know the roots are black, but don't don't worry about that. It's, gonna, it's still good. He put, he moved them from a paradigm of of better and best from good and best, and he moved them to a paradigm of right and wrong. Now, all of a sudden, they're thinking in terms of should I do this or should I not do this? I can eat from this tree or I can eat from all the trees in the garden. You got to understand. I'm trying to map it out for you spatially. Here's all the trees in the garden. OK. This is your life when you're living a life that's permissible. Here's the tree of life. This is the life that's best. And then here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve, when God first placed them in the garden, he placed them facing this direction. And all they saw. All they saw was what was good and what was best. That was their paradigm. That's all they could think about. But when Satan came in with deception. He turned them around. And now they they still see what's good. They see what's bad. But they never see what's best. And for many of us, that's our Christian walk. We don't see what's best. We only see good and bad. And so we're staying in this area. We get we get a little close to the bad fruit sometimes, sometimes we Smell it a bit, you know, put it back on the tree. <laughs> but we never make our way back. But that's what Christ came to do. Christ came to do it. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of Man. Love me, gave himself up for me. Christ died. He came. He And we are crucified with him that we no longer live in this place of good and bad. But we turn and we start living headed towards the best. And then the decisions you make. You begin to access a new grace, a new power to begin to make decisions, not even thinking about the bad. But only thinking about the best. When Satan comes at you with temptation for you to do something that's bad, you say, Satan, that's not even it. That's not even in my area like. Sin, that's over there, that's somebody else's field, that's not me, I got this tree. And when other people see you living a life where you're living in this this area, where you're constantly taking from what's best from God, not just what's good, but what's best, they look at that and they say, that's a life I want. They say, that's a life I want to imitate. What's your secret? And then you can be like, Jesus, don't whisper it. Tell him you can tell him it's Jesus. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of me. He has he has overcome all my sin. He's overcome all my shame. He's overcome all my all the condemnation, everything that's put me down. He has completely overcome it. And I don't live in that paradigm anymore. I don't I don't even have to worry about it when it comes. I don't even give it the time of day because I'm only concerned with what's best. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.